0: Well, hey, good morning, everyone. Um, hey, no pressure now, right? Thank you, Pastor Tim. Um, but uh, no, I'm, I'm really honored to uh, continue in the parable series with you guys this morning. So we'll be in Luke uh, chapter 15. Yeah, Luke chapter 15. Um, and I've learned from being with you that I need to say that is on page 874 of the blue Bibles in the back. He didn't ask me to say that. I just did that's extra points. Um, if you have those. So we'll be in Luke 15, um, and uh, we'll, we'll continue here. So we're, we're actually going to start in verse um, 11, uh, which is the, the parable of the lost son. But if we, if we go back a little bit to the beginning of chapter 15, it helps give us a little bit of context uh, as we dig in. Um, and so in the first few verses of chapter 15, it says this. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so uh, Jesus is about to respond to their muttering, right? The Pharisees are essentially saying, why does Jesus eat with these people, right? Okay, and, uh, and, and so Jesus is going to respond. And so he responds with three parables in a row, all right? So he responds with a story um, about a lost sheep right, which has inspired about 500 songs over the past 10 years, Uh, the parable of the lost coin, right, and the parable of the lost son. Now, you might have in your Bible some of the different um, headings in your Bible. Like, mine says the parable of the lost son. Yours might say the parable of the lost two sons. Um, There's Bibles that say the, um, the parable of the loving father or the prodigal son. But Jesus is answering their muttering three times. Does that make sense? And so uh, we'll dig in into this third one, the parable of the lost son, and this relationship between uh, these two sons and a father. And so this morning, I'm going to share with you a little bit about my relationship with my dad, uh, and I'll pack some of that uh, for you. And I know that in this room, like if we were to say, you know, hey, to describe your relationship with your father, that we would, we would probably hear a lot of like positive or heartbreaking or all sorts of different stories, right? We all have sort of different uh, lives and different uh, fathers and and their impact on our life. Um, And for me, growing up, my dad, uh, when I was in elementary school through middle school into high school, uh, my dad and I were just really, really, really close. Like I just, I really liked being around my dad. And thankfully, it seemed as though he liked being around me. Uh, And so that was cool. And I liked being with him. And um, I could tell you a lot of different stories, and we don't have time. But the one thing that my dad and I shared together was kind of just a sense of humor, uh, and you know that that he and I shared together. So a lot of like my dad did a lot of funny things to like teach me things, um, and and I always thought it was actually pretty funny as a kid. I, in young life, I used to always tell the story of. When uh, I was 10 years old and we were in the Galleria Mall, my dad and I, my mom was in the worst place on earth, um, the Bonton. And as a 10-year-old, that's what I felt. I still feel that way, but that's where it started. Uh, But anyway, we're out there waiting, and I guess for some reason I had gone like a decade of my life without ever seeing, um, you know, coins in a fountain. And I I remember asking my dad, like, Dad, like, can I just take one? And my dad's like, yeah, I'm going to let you figure that out. And, And he... And he walked away to go get like a slice of pizza for the two of us. And so, long story short, I end up like digging my arm in this water that's way deeper than you think it is and like rolling up my sleeve and pulling up this quarter and then like a, a security guard like the size of like Dwayne the Rock Johnson goes, that's not yours. And I peed a little and then I, I was and, and I dropped the coin uh, back in the water. And like a minute later, my dad comes over with a slice of pizza. He's like, he goes... <laughs> Did you figure it out? Yeah, And I was like, oh, dad, you won't believe what happened. I, I reached in. I grabbed the quarter, and this guard was huge. He was like a mountain, and he scared me. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I told him. I said, hey, that kid over there, I think he's about to take a quarter out of the fountain. He's my son. Go scare him. And I remember, like, I was still, like, a little shook by the, the security guard. I had, like, a tear coming down my eye. And I was like, That's pretty good, dad. That was pretty good. <laughs> so that was, like, a weird sense of humor between my dad and I. That's what I'm saying. Like, we... Anyway, um, that has nothing to do with the sermon, but my dad and I were really, really close, and I didn't, I, you know, I just didn't hide a lot from him um, or anything, really, so like even as I got into high school, you know, teenage angst and all of that, like I, I liked, I really enjoyed unpacking things with my dad, and I think that's because there was a lot of um, brokenness in, in my family's life. And my dad always unpacked that brokenness with me rather upfront. Like, hey, there are things that you're seeing or experiencing or hearing that are not, it's not the way that things are supposed to be and here's why. And so I think I felt like always just so, and that's our story, that's my story with my dad, but I would always talk to him about everything. And then when I got to college, Uh, for what I guess was the first time in my life I made friends that were not a good influence on me. Now, up until college, it's not like I I had friends that were Christian and non-Christian and all of that, but they were safe friends. They were good friends who were good for me to, to be around and good influences on me. And I went to college made these friends who were not a good influence on me, and I just started participating with them in things I had always kind of written off in my life. Like, I'm just not that guy. I'm not that kid. I, there's just stuff I won't do, things I won't be involved in, things I won't say, you know. And the more and more I got involved, I was living uh, at home, commuting, but going to school, and the more I got to know these, uh, these folks, the later I was getting home every day. Um, and I didn't know, but my dad would pretty much stay up every night. A lot of mothers and fathers, get, like, they, he would just, they would just stay up until I got home, my dad especially, um, but what ended up happening to my relationship with my dad and I is I knew that all of a sudden there was stuff in my life that he would not want, he just wouldn't approve of, and, and so um, I just started to give him the cold shoulder, right, and we, we used to like always do stuff together every week, every Saturday morning, we'd always do like yard work together, sounds lame, but like that's where like my dad and I just like spent a lot of time together uh, talking, and, um, and I just month by month by month, it got to the point where like, I barely spoke to my dad at all um, because I just didn't want to deal with what was this like internal conflict that was going on. And so the 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 19 year old uh, you know wisdom that I had you know, was like I just avoid my dad, you know, completely. And so I, I want to talk a little bit more about that later on and kind of where that went. But I, I want to dig into this story because it is a story of sons. And, and their broken relationship with their father. And, um, and I hope that you'll, you'll uh, see the goodness of the Lord in it, uh, in what Jesus was doing. So I'm going to read starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, "'There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, "'Father, give me my share of the estate.'" So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, And he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate for the son For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. We're going to stop there, uh, and we will continue the, the rest in just a moment. This is a really, really familiar passage uh, to most, if not all, Christians. In fact, this is a relatively famous piece of literature even beyond the Christian world. The parable of the lost son is, is known. It's a known piece of, of, of writing. And, um, and so I know that you've, you've heard it before. And so as we go through here, I just want to point out uh, some of the things that would have really stood out to those who were there listening right? To the Pharisees. So Jesus is sitting, remember the scene, right? Jesus is sitting at a, a table and he is eating with, with what the Pharisees would have called the thems, right? These people, the sinners and tax collectors and all of that. Jesus is dining with them and they've asked, why does he do that, right? So the Pharisees are there, these, the, these tax collectors and sinners are there and Jesus is answering their muttering of why he sits, sits with them. And so he tells this story, and it starts with a younger brother, a younger son. And the the first thing that would have stood out to the Pharisees, of course, and it's the very beginning, is the request that the younger son says to the father, right? He says, Father, uh, give me my share of the estate. Now, for a Middle Eastern, you know, patriarchal father, uh, a, a man's land, his estate was intertwined with his status and stature in the community. Does that make sense? Right? And so it's just unbelievably important uh, to them, their land, the animals, their family, their their hired men, whatever it is, all of that was so important. And so uh, the Pharisees would have immediately found fault with what the son said to the father, because the son essentially says to the father, like, Father, I want you to tear that all up and and distribute it to, to your sons. Right and, and we know that normally you would get an inheritance when your father dies. Right? So instead he's saying very early on, he's going, Hey father, hey I I want that now. Tear up that that that, that, that thing that gives you honor and stature inside this community and all, break it apart now and give me what's mine. And so the, the Pharisees would have heard that and immediately, right, would have been wrinkling their, their noses and their foreheads at this, at this son uh, who would have the, the gall to ask their father to do that. And uh, as I read commentaries, it says that typically estates in that time would have been split up where the, the eldest son would have gotten twice as much as the younger son. So the, the elder son would have gotten two-thirds, because there's two, two-thirds of the estate, right, and the younger son would have gotten a third. And so I, I think that, that for us, I think what's really important to, hear, to, hear too, to see uh, is that it, it represents a younger son whose, uh, whose heart was already disconnected from the father before he even said this. Does, you know what I mean? It, it, it so demonstrates that the younger son has, has a broken, disconnected relationship with his father that he would come and ask this. Uh, I read something that said, you know, the, the son's heart was far from his father and his body would soon follow, right? He would soon take that estate and he would leave his father's estate. He wanted his father's things, he didn't want his father. So that's, that was the request. And then also the Pharisees would have paid a lot of attention to the response of the father. Like the Pharisees would have expected, the Pharisees would have expected for the father to respond in what way, right? Like, get out of here. Like, you're insane. Like, this is, this is so disrespectful that you would say this to me. But instead, uh, as Jesus tells this story, he, conti- he continually kind of subverts everyone's expectation and cultural norms. The father doesn't condemn. He doesn't judge. He, 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 he's, okay, here's the estate. Here, here's what you asked for. And so the father tears apart that estate, splits it, and gives it to his sons. And so we know what happens, right? The, 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 the younger son goes and tries to find life apart from the father, right? He, he is seeking identity, value, worth. We know he is chasing after passion and lust and all of those things. It's very clear. He, he spent everything that his father, the inheritance, right? He spent all of it on wild living. And he gets everything that he thinks he wants, everything he thinks he needs that will make him happy. And a great famine comes through the country, and he's 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 he, and he's got no more money, no more stature. You know, the money can't buy it anymore, and so from going from top of the totem top top of the totem pole, right, because of the wealth that he had from his father, now he's so lowly. He's 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 hit such rock bottom that he's feeding as a Jewish man. He's feeding pigs, and he wants to eat what the pigs are eating. And the men, whoever he's working for, won't let him eat that, right? Man, he has is, he is gone through a roller coaster here, uh, and he is at rock bottom. And w- when he's in that spot and he's starving, he comes to this realization. He's like, oh, my word. He's like, I mean, my father's, my father's servants don't live like this. Yeah, it, I mean, they have it so much better off than this. He goes, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to say to my dad that, you know what? I've sinned against heaven and against him, and I... I, I uh, I don't even deserve to be a son, and I will be a slave, and, and that's where I'll live, so that's what I'm going to do. And so it says that he heads back to his father, and I love that little line, and we'll come back to it, but I love that line where it says, and the father, when he was like close, no, no, it says like the father, when he was a long way off, right, sees him. And again, if you try to like think through the audience that Jesus is speaking to here, right, now that what the father does as the son comes back, again, would have absolutely just confused uh, the hearers of the story because children run, women run, young boys run, but this respected Middle Eastern patriarch with his land and his estate, all that, you don't, you're not going to run, right? That's beneath you. But what does this father do? He picks up his robe and he just runs out to his son, right? And you can see, can you see like the Pharisees' faces when, when Jesus is saying this? They're just like they're like this guy, you know, this, this fictional character that Jesus is talking. He's like I can't, you know, he just, he, all of his actions are just confusing them. So he picks up his robe and he just sprints out to this son, and and uh, the Pharisees want the story to be like, and then the father like you know chokes him right there in the dirt, you know you know? But no, again, what does he do? He just wraps his arms around him and just kisses him, just shows him so much affection, you know? And then the, the son gets in on his speech, right? He starts that speech that he's prepared. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I don't deserve to be your son. And then what does the father do? You ever notice this? The father cuts him off, He has this whole other part prepared where he says, I'm going to be a slave now. You know that? I'm going to be a slave now in your house. But the father cuts him off. He won't let, he lets him do the part that's repentant, right? The part that says, I have sinned against you and I don't deserve to be your son. But at that point, the father stops and he goes, hey, get a robe on my son now. Get these dirty feet off the ground. Put sandals on him. Take that ring, the one that's got the emblem of our family, the one that only the family members wear, like put it on his finger, right? Because my son was dead. He's alive again. Like he's, He was lost and now he's found. And that's where the story, that's where we stopped. The robe of my office, you know, the ring with the, that emblem on it. You are a son and not a slave. I wrote, a, a lost younger brother who tried to find life apart from the father, and a father who searched for him, and In the instant there was any sign of his return, he overwhelmed the younger son with love, grace, and mercy. What Do you know that feeling of just like being overwhelmed? Like you just lose your, you know, it's like losing your breath. You know what I mean? Just imagine what the younger son must have felt when the father just wrapped his arms around him and treated him as a son. You know, completely undeserving, which the son knew. Remember, the father let him say that part. <laughs> It's just, it's just so beautiful. There's a, a poem that says, Awake, O sleeper, from the grave, you are a son and not a slave. And what a beautiful message. What a beautiful message for those who were sitting at the table with Jesus. That no matter how rough, bad, no matter where they were on the social status, you think about those sinners, the these people that were sitting with Jesus, what it must have meant for them. To hear this story about a father who embraced them, no matter, no matter the offense, no matter what had happened, no matter how low or bad things had gotten, that he accepted them, he loved them. And so it seems as though the story ends. So listen, this is really cool. So Jesus, at this point, could have stopped because at this point, he's answered the Pharisees' questions three times. They said, Jesus, why do you eat with these people? And he goes, you know why I eat with these people? This is what it's like when the Son of Man eats with these people. It's like when a shepherd has 100 sheep and he loses one, and he leaves the 99 to go find that one. That's what it's like when I eat with them. That's what it's like. And I celebrate that I found that one lost sheep. You know what it's like when when I sit with these people? It's like a woman who loses a coin and literally upends her whole house turns every piece of furniture upside down, empties every drawer and searches every crack and cranny until she finds that coin. And when she finds it, she invites the entire neighborhood over to party because she found what was lost. That's what it's like when I eat with them. You know what it's like when I eat with them? It's like a son who has so dishonored their father and has gone to find value in life apart from him but who, in realizing what it's like to be with the father, turns, the father runs out and gives, them kiss, gives him kisses and hugs, and then throws a party because their son was lost, but now is found again. Do you see? You know, Jesus has answered this question now three times, and I think he could have stopped there, but this is what I love about Jesus, is that we... We are so, we see over and over again in the New Testament that Jesus is pretty hard on the Pharisees. And if Jesus is hard on the Pharisees, that means that they deserved that. That means that whatever hard language or love or lessons that, that he was bringing to these religious leaders, it means that they deserved it and they needed to hear it. But it does not mean at any point that he loved them any less than anyone else that he served and walked with and alongside of. Right? And so what Jesus does, all of a sudden, is he's answered, it's like, this is what it's like what I eat with them. But all of a sudden, he turns his attention towards these Pharisees whom he loves. And then you get to see the second part of the story, which is so unique. Listen to it. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, and yet you never gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours... When this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. You see, Jesus... has answered their question, why do you eat with them? And now Jesus is asking the Pharisees a question right back with this second part of the story. He goes, and why aren't you eating with me? Why are you standing there muttering in judgment? Why, Why aren't you sitting down with me right now? And he shares the story of an elder brother. He's making a practical appeal to these Pharisees. An elder brother who is so distracted by his work, so distracted by his, his, his merit, you know, his earning of God's approval, right, his, his duty out in the field, that he doesn't even know what's going on. He has no idea that his brother has even returned, right? He's so caught up on his labor, right, for his father that he doesn't even know what's going on with his father and his, son, and his, and his younger brother. And so he hears from a servant what, what, what had happened. And what we would like to hear of an elder brother who loves his father is that when the elder brother heard that his younger son had returned, he ran into the house and joined the party and hugged his younger brother and kissed him and loved him and celebrated, but more importantly, would have looked at the father and been like, man, to see my dad in this new way is so beautiful and so glorious. To see my father's mercy poured out on my younger brother just makes me fall in love with my dad even more, right? Because I've never seen my father's love like this. This is a new angle of his mercy and his grace and his love and it teaches me how to love my younger brother it teaches me how to how to my disposition tor- towards others what what glory that i get to see my father in this new way but that is not at all what happens with the elder brother right no it says he gets angry and he's pouty and he's out on the porch and he refuses to go in have you ever had like a big family meal? And you've got that one family member who just won't come to sit down and eat. It's usually a teenager. You know, it's time to eat. Where are they? They're upstairs. What's wrong? They're mad. It's like, you know, not now. You know, the, the, you know, the food's warm. Get in here. You know, come sit down. Come eat. And seriously, so you, ha- you have this elder brother out on the porch, right? He won't, he won't join. You, you had a lost younger brother who was out in the countryside, but now in a sense you have a lost son out on a porch, Right? So, what happens? The father goes out to him and he entreats him. And he makes the special appeal to these Pharisees. And we can see that when, when the younger brother asked his father for the estate, you knew that there was something wrong about that relationship. And now you can see again, there is something wrong about this relationship between the elder brother and his father. The elder brother's relationship is on a wrong footing with God. Do you hear the language that he uses with his dad? He goes, look, can you hear it? Look, you, right? Can you hear him arguing with his dad? For so many years, I've been. he goes, I have been serving or slaving for you. And I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a goat that I might be merry with my friends. He's been slaving for his father. Do you see the, even the language that he uses? He says, this son of yours. Right? He doesn't even call him his brother, right? The son of yours. The elder brother has a father, but he chooses to talk, he chooses to, talk to him like he's a, he's a master. He's a son, but he chooses to talk to his dad as though he's a slave. Look, you. Once again, we see the words that indicate an alienation from the father. I've been slaving for you. I've never neglected you. I've always obeyed you. Every command, every request. You see... He sees himself not as a son before the father, but as a slave. He's so lost in his work, so lost in his labor, his obedience, his goodness. I mean, he's earned it. And by God, my younger brother has not earned it, right? He's so wrapped up his value and identity into into his merit, into the duty, into his obedience for his dad. If there's going to be a party, it should be for me. And by the world's standards, some of us can actually understand why an older brother might be angry. Because in order for the father in order for the father to, the, again, I read this as I studied this passage and his commentaries helped me understand this passage more, saying that for the father to invite the, the, the younger son back into the family and to reestablish his estate, all of a sudden that two-thirds that the, the, the elder son has just got a little bit smaller, right? Because there, now there's like a new one-third for, for the younger son. As he's been reestablished as a son, but of course we can see again that this is you know that this elder brother that he does not he does not care about his relationship with his father. He's judgmental. There's no joy, this son of yours. There's no there's no delight in his father. Right? You can hear the elder brother just saying, "God, to his father, just don't get in my way," right? I have done what I'm supposed to do. Now give me the life that I am supposed to receive from you because I have obeyed you. <laughs> like I, when, when my wife is at work on the weekends and I, and I am with my four children uh, and I am trying to uh, encourage uh, obedience out of my kids in the best way I know how, uh, I develop this funny thing. I'm like, I, I call it happy daddy points. And I'm like, boys, throughout the day, you're going to earn happy daddy points and I said, the more you make me happy, the more points you earn, you know? And at the end of the day, you get four or five points. I might let like, you go, like, watch a movie or something like that. Um, and so that every time they're about to fight or steal something from their brother or hit a brother, I hope that they're thinking, like, will this anger father or please father? <laughs> you know, you, you can critique my fathering later. But this is what I do, all right? So, um, <laughs> and, it's, and it's already become a joke between me and the kids. But it, just imagine at the end of the day, right? You can see, like, all my kids are, like, eight years old and younger, right? And it's like, hey... You've earned your five points, you know? But guys, let's go for a walk on the rail trail, you know? Forget the movie, right? All, all well, the one's only four months, so she couldn't hurt me. But like, the the three would be attacking me instantly. They're like, we are good all day, Dad. You're like, give us the movie, you know? But I just want to hang out with you. They're like, the movie, Dad, you know? And of course, like, you know, the reason why that's not the most effective parenting is because they're behaving because they're like, well, they're banking up points for the movie, right? They, they, they you know, and so it's innocent and me and my relationship with my kids, is just fine, thank you, okay? But the, but the point is, but you, you can see it, right? Like, Dad, I've done what I'm supposed to do to get the stuff. It's not about me and you, right? I want the stuff. I want the, you know, I've earned it. You guys get it. He's angry, and and all of that has actually turned him bitter towards his dad. It's turned him bitter towards his younger brother, right? He's obedient to get things. I was talking to Pastor Tim about this, and I, I had written that the biggest void in the elder brother's heart is that he lives with the Father, and he finds it unsatisfying. And Pastor Tim challenged me in a neat way. He said, you know, does he really live with the Father, or does he live just around the Father, you know? I said, yeah, that's right. But it's the same lesson, right? He lives around the father, and he finds, he finds his father completely unsatisfying to him. And what I love about the father's response, listen, is the son is so good at obeying, isn't he? The elder brother. He's so good at obeying. He's so good at following orders. And all of us can see a dad go out on that porch, grab that son by his collar, and just go, get inside, right? And that's an order that the older brother probably would have obeyed, right? He's used to obeying this, like, hey, if you say I have to, I'll do it, right? But the father doesn't do that. doesn't grab him by the collar. Do you know what the father does? The father says, Son, I know you're upset, but just so you know, like, you don't belong out on this porch. You belong in inside with me and your, and your brother. He doesn't give him another command to obey, right? He just, he invites him in love. Come inside. Like, I love you. He has a father, but he chooses to have a master. The father says, I won't disown you. I won't disown your younger brother, and I won't disown you either. Come inside. You see, every, everyone was, was so ready for Jesus. We're always so ready for Jesus to kind of like lay into the religious elite, right? Oh, gosh, he loves them so much. He, 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 he loves them so dearly. And the father at no point in this parable does he yell at the elder brother for, for his obedience. He doesn't condemn him for the work that he's been doing uh, with him, Right? But the father is calling into is is questioning not, not the labor, not the obedience, but why the son's doing it. Why you're obeying, why you're laboring. A lost elder brother, one who knows the father, works for him, believes in him, and yet there is still something wrong. He's tried to earn it. It's not about relationship, it's all about duty. The Father, once again, loves, I know you've placed your identity and your significance and how well you serve me, but you are not a slave, you're a son. Come inside. Again, that same poem, awake, O sleeper, from the grave, you are a son and not a slave. He is saying to his son, growing in relationship with me, son. it, 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 It is not about trying harder, it's just about surrendering more. Come inside with me. Listen to this poem. The father cried and felt that both his sons has died. The one from play and when passions boil, the other from his toxic toil, the one a hundred miles away, the other even while he stay. The one a slave to lust and fools, the other a slave to laws and rules. A younger, you, you see, this, Jesus levels the playing field between younger brothers and elder brothers, doesn't he? He's saying that younger brother lostness and elder brother lostness are both terrible. Why? Because both of them separate us from the Father. You see, sin, brokenness, it's not primarily defined uh, by its ability to ruin our lives or for the consequences that it reaps in, in our lives. The primary consequence of sin is that it separates us from God. God does not want to save his children from one kind of enslavement for them only then to, you know, get on the horse and fall off on the other side into another kind of enslavement apart from him. So you have the countryside, the world of self-discovery and life apart from the Father, right? And then the world of religious duty and merit, but still apart from the Father. Man, Jesus is saying, I have come for the irreligious and the religious. I've come for the harlot and the hypocrite. So I love this special appeal that Jesus is making to those who are sitting at the table listening to to these parables and then also the the beauty that he turns his attention to these Pharisees and says, gosh, like your your relationship with me should not be about what you think is my usefulness to you. Not you, sinners and task collectors, these people, and certainly not you, Pharisees. And so... The question this morning is: Well, then, how do we find ourselves in this passage? Now, uh, it it is certainly very easy, and I don't think it's wrong for us to say, "All right, now, who are you? You know, who, who who do you relate to in this story? Are you a younger brother? Are you an elder brother?" But gosh, life really isn't that simple, right? I mean, is it possible for us to be younger brothers to to chase lust? To, to chase comfort, to chase our passions and identity and, and, and place our value and our identity and our self-worth and those things apart from God? Absolutely it is. Is it possible for us to be elder brothers, right? Where, to, you know, where we try to earn everything that are our duty uh, to God. Uh, and, you know, I'll be a good person, right? I won't listen to bad music. I'll go to church. I'll, I'll do what God says, and yet, still be completely disconnected from the Father. To put our value and our worth and our identity in our obedience, in our goodness, but not in Jesus Christ and our Father in heaven. Well, of course it is. When the reality is that, like, as, as we unpack this and we try to maybe find ourselves in this passage, it's probably we, we, we see seasons of our life where we're one or the other are a mix of both, right? So what's more important is, I think, is what we share with the people who would have listened to this story. Is that we share Jesus Christ and who he is to us. Right? That we find ourselves certainly in in some of the same situations as the elder brothers and younger brothers. Right? But instead, we all hear and see that Jesus Christ and our Father in heaven is faithful. He's a grace-filled pursuer of the lost. And so what I want to do is I want to offer uh, four things Just four brief things that I believe that those who were sitting with Jesus and the Pharisees who were listening, that they needed to hear. And I think we need to hear these things too. The first thing that I believe that these folks needed to hear, and I think us too, is this. I, I believe that they needed to be disarmed by the initiating love of Jesus Christ and by their Father in heaven. Disarmed by God's just initiating love in our lives. In this parable, whether it be the lost coin, the sheep, and the parable of these two lost sons, over and over and over and again you see this, this theme in, in the parable of the lost sons here of this father who, who initiates with his children, right? It, when, when the younger son was a long way off, right? It says the father ran out to him, right? When the when the when the son was stubborn out on the porch, the father did not wait inside. Hey, if he's gonna do that, I'll wait till he comes in here, right? Now, Jesus goes out to him on the porch. He initiates with love and mercy and grace. By the time I was done with my freshman year in college, um, I, 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 was, I wasn't talking to my father at all. I mean, what was 19 years of my dad being one of the closest people in my life, um, and I barely spoke to him aside from what I, whatever I needed to say to make sure that the conversations were as short as possible right? How was your day? Great, right? And I started coming home later and later and later and later and later uh, because of what was going on at college and what I was doing and, my, and, and things were just just so ludicrous and, and, uh, and unhealthy. Um, and I drove home one evening under the influence um, and found my way, you know, uh, up to bed and was laying in my bed and my father, in a pitch dark room, uh, he opened up my door, and I did what every grown adult does in this circumstance, and I pretended to be asleep. Yeah, and he's standing there, and you you know what's going through my nineteen-year-old head, right? Go away, go away. Like I'm not. I don't want to talk to you. I don't have a conversation with you. Uh, I, I was, you know, also I was a bag of mixed emotions, right? But one thing I was sure of is that I did not want to speak to my father. Not then, not, not really at all, but certainly not then. And I kind of peered out of the corner of my eye, and I could see his silhouette in the door. And he goes, Chewy. That's what he called me. That's what half my family called me growing up, was Chewy. He goes, was my nickname? He goes, Chewy. And uh, I just kept pretending to be asleep. Chewy, and I just kept pretending to be asleep, and he just stops, and he goes, hey, Chewy, he goes, I I miss you so much, man, and he just, like, closed the door, and I immediately get upset, because, you know, when you tell these stories, like, this is how I felt when he said that, immediately, this is how I felt, I was just, I was just so overwhelmed by what he said, because it's just not what I expected him to say. I expected him to, like, come down on me hard, right? Because he knew my life was falling apart. He knew I was doing things that he didn't approve of. And the only things that came out of his mouth were, Chewy, man, I just miss you so much. He knew I was awake. He's not an idiot. (laughs) And he just closed the door. And that night would be the beginning uh, of my uh, recommitment in my life in Christ it would be the beginning of me reconciling with my father um, because of how disarmed I was by my dad's love. God used my dad in a powerful way in my life. And so when I say that we need to be, the Pharisees need to be, those those younger brothers that were sitting at that table, do you understand what I mean by disarmed by the initiating love of God? The way you expect a father to respond and God's going, no, that's, that's not the way I look at you. That's not the way I respond. A younger brother whose life was, uh, you know, a younger son whose life was completely a mess, right? He didn't have to fix everything. He didn't have to earn all that money that he had lost before he could go back to his dad, right? All he had to do was have the slightest crack in his heart, the slightest orientation of his heart towards his father, right? And the father just runs out to him. You know? And and we see throughout the New Testament, we see this in the story, we see it in everything that Jesus does is, man, Jesus is so aggressive with his grace. You you know what I mean? He just so desperately wants to give people grace and love and forgiveness, right? And he just initiates it over and over and over again. He goes to people who had no idea that he was going to come up to them, right? A woman at a well, a paralytic, you know, at the sheep gate. Oh, it's all story after story after story where he initiates, and just so disarms people by his grace and love. And you know what? He's looking at those elder brothers, the Pharisees that are listening to him, and he's going, Man, it's the same for you. He goes, You don't have to fix everything. He's like, you, you know, he's like, your whole disposition towards your younger brothers is off. But you know, Jesus isn't saying to them, like, fix all of your wrong thinking, fix all of your wrong disposition and attitude toward me. All Jesus is saying, and the father is saying, he's just, I just I want you. And you know what, When I, that next morning when I reconciled with my father, do you think there were some things in my life that I had to address with my dad that, I, that were uncomfortable? And that, Absolutely. There were all sorts of things. But, you know, everything came about just my relationship with my dad first. I just knew he loved me. And so whatever hard things came after that, whatever changes I needed to make in my life, my dad was going to make with me because I knew he loved me. And I think that that's what these... Uh, these folks needed to hear too. I think God comes to the elder brothers and you know, here. So I, I, I don't know if you see yourself as a, again, the mix, right? But maybe I, there's a younger brother here, right? And you're just like, gosh, my, my sin is so entrenched. It's so private. It's so secret. Things that I've, you know, it's almost I'm keeping things. I think I'm keeping things from God. There, there's just things in my life that I just know disqualify me from the Father's love. Man, this story is here for you just to say that like the, the slightest crack in your heart, that any sort of orientation towards your father and your father just runs out to you in grace and love and, and says you belong at home. You are a son and not a slave. And for elder brothers in this room, I think we're supposed to be disarmed in the same way. I know I believe in God, I know that I call myself a Christian, and to be honest, I think I'm pretty obedient, I think I do the things that I'm supposed to do, I have rid things of my life that I know are unhealthy and toxic, I I try to obey, I try to live a good life, I try to be a good husband, I try to be a good dad, a brother, a son, a worker, and yet, and I I gotta be honest, I, I, I don't know if I could describe anything about my relationship with the Lord because I don't feel like there is one. I don't know if I, 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 could, I could describe what it feels. I mean, I, maybe I used to feel that joy with the Lord. Maybe there is something that I used to feel, but I, just, I have not felt that in, in the longest time. And I don't know how to restart that. I don't know how to get that going again. Sometimes I feel like I'm just, I'm just waiting to feel it again. Sometimes a worship song starts to rise it in me. But by the time I get home, it's Sunday afternoon, the feeling's gone, and I, I just feel like I don't have a relationship with the Lord. I want you to know that you have a Father in heaven that pursues you no less than he pursued you before you knew him. He is still pursuing you and loves you and calls you. He says, man, do those things that just grow your heart for me. These things that I've given to you as a gift. Come and worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Worship me. Wash yourself with the gospel and the truth of who I am. Read my word. Don't wait until you feel something. Just come now. Come into my presence and read my word to you. My Holy Spirit is with you and loves you. Secondly, and and, and far more brief, I believe that the Pharisees and the younger uh, siblings and the younger brothers and all of that were sitting with Jesus needed to see lostness for what it was. And that's when I said that, man, our, our sin is what separates us from God. It levels the playing field between the religious and the irreligious. You know, this can be terrifying for younger brothers you know, when we, when, our, our brokenness and disconnected from the Lord can be terrifying for younger brothers, right? Younger sons. Because if we're unwilling to let go of trying to find identity and life and value apart from God, it can be so scary. Man, man, my value is in my beauty. My value is in my comfort. You know, life is found in pleasure and, and all of these things. It can be scary when God is saying it is not found in those things. You've given the keys to your value and purpose and worth. to the Only I can be God. You have made things God that cannot be God to you. And yet it can be so unbelievably comforting for those who for a lifetime have found that none of those things uh, um, fill our hearts in the way that really deal with this discontent of the human heart, right? It can be this comfort of like, man, I finally found in Christ what I was really looking for. They needed a savior when nothing else was working. We need to see our lostness for what it is, and the Pharisees needed to see that too. And it can be—it was going to be frightening for the Pharisees, because they would have said, "Are you you telling me that all of our obedience, all of our hard work—are you you telling me that's earned us nothing? Right? It was frightening them because Jesus was saying, all of that duty, all of that merit, all of that—all of that—the legality of, of why you think you have stature and worth and value in this community. Everything you're seeking is only through me, and it's going to be given to you freely through faith and by grace, and it will be for everyone. That was scary for the Pharisees. It it, it angered them. It shocked them. But it could also be comforting that they don't have to earn it anymore. It was going to be given to them for free. To see our lostness for what it is. That's why sometimes we say the gospel is offensive, because it declares that all have fallen short of the glory of God. Your work, your relationships, your wealth, your pride, your beauty, your religiosity, even your goodness cannot save you. Only Jesus can. Third, is that I believe the Pharisees and us this morning and those at the table with Jesus needed to be melted and their hearts needed to be melted by what Jesus was going to do up on the cross and through the grave for them. Tim Keller wrote this book. Uh, called The Prodigal God, where he says that essentially Jesus Christ is an elder brother who did not have a disconnect with his father. That, that Jesus Christ is an elder brother in perfect relationship with the father. And one, listen, this is so neat you, you, as you unpack this, is man is an elder brother who, who uh, left Uh, His father's estate left what it meant to be in perfect union with his father, right? Jesus Christ left heaven and put on flesh, and God uh, dwelt among us, right? He put on human flesh. Why? To seek and save who? His younger brothers, his younger sisters, Jesus Christ is an elder brother who goes on behalf of the Father, right, to earn his Father's love? No, but because he delights in the Father. Jesus Christ said over and over and over again as he prayed, he goes, God, I do all of these things to glorify you and to raise up belief in those who would see me and believe in who I am and that you've sent me. And so Jesus went, an elder brother who pursues and seeks his younger brothers and sisters, and in this story, you have an elder brother who would have to lose some of his estate, right, in order for that younger son to be called son again. And what do you have in Jesus Christ? Is you, have, you have the son of God who wouldn't just lose a piece of his estate but would lose his life. Lose his life so that he could bring back younger sisters and younger brothers and wrap them in the robe of his righteousness, right? And put on the ring of, 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 of the family emblem, right? That says that we are adopted sons and daughters of God, right? Man, that's the gospel message. Is that, you know, that, that Jesus Christ has restored us into right relationship with our Father. He's an elder brother who sacrificed everything, For the younger son, so that the younger son could be restored with his father. And as the worship team uh, begins to come up, I'll share the last point. So the, the first was we need to be disarmed by God's initiating love in our life. We need to see our brokenness for what it is. That that our salvation and our hope in life is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, religious or irreligious. We need our hearts melted by what Jesus Christ did and what it took to bring us home. And lastly, guys, I hope you get excited about this little picture. Now just imagine that Jesus has just finished this story about the elder brother. Isn't it cool to kind of picture a Pharisee or two standing there and it it sunk in and they got it? And you just imagine a Pharisee breaking away from that muttering crowd of religious elite, and then the religious elite going, like, yo, where is Steve going? You know, you know what I mean? What is Steve doing? And Steve picks up his robe and sits down next to Jesus Christ and dines with the, these people. Do you see it? See, the fourth thing was it was an invitation to them. Jesus Christ was saying, He was saying to them, going, Look, look, all of this is yours. Has, this inheritance is yours. I, he, Jesus was going, do this with me. He was inviting the elder brothers and saying, like, do this with me, right? And he's also inviting the younger brothers, too. He was saying, this is what life is going to be about in me. It's going to be about, about me through you, us right? The, the, the church is that we are going to go out into the countryside of passion and lust where people have placed their identity and their value in the wrong places. And we're going to go and we're going to entreat them and love them with grace and mercy and call them back into right relationship with the Father. Do this with me. Go out into the countryside with me. Go out onto the porch with me, into those that are in your life, who, who think that, you know, they're, they're going through the motions, they're going through the ropes, they think they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, but man, they have no relationship with the Lord. It's cold, it's broken, it's joyless. Maybe there's even bitterness or resentment and anger. Jesus is saying, come on, come with me out on the porch. And let's just surprise them by how, we, how there's no judgment, there's not a command to obey. We're just gonna invite them back into relationship. Come and enjoy me, love me. It's an invitation, do this with me. And so I think a challenge for us this morning, uh, for some of us, I hope, is just to ask you just, man, who are the the younger brothers and sisters in your life? Who are the people that Jesus has placed in in your life? And Jesus is saying, man, do this with me. Love them. I want to show them grace and mercy and love and kindness through you and in you. Do this with me to the furthest out, you know, Jesus was constantly spending his time with, with the rejects, right? Cultural rejects, political rejects, sexual rejects, you know, religious, on outcasts, on and on and on. And Jesus is just this invitation of saying, man, will you do this with me? I want to work in you and through you. We get to do this together. So I want to close. Um, I read a lot of um, poems to you this morning. I have one more. i want to read this to you. It says, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty are joined apart no more. See the law of Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, for your great love. God, we thank you for... You're initiating love. God, we thank you for the grace and mercy that you have poured out onto our lives. Whether we were out in a countryside of misery, out on a porch of hard-earned merit, God, we thank you that you pursue us and love us. And we thank you so much, Lord, that you invite us into relationship with yourself. Lord, I thank you for inviting us into doing this with you. God, what a great honor It is, Lord, that you invite us to seek and to love and to pursue the younger brothers and sisters in our lives and to overwhelm them, overwhelm them by how much you love them, how much you delight in them, and how much you desire for them to be in relationship with you. God, we just love you so much. We thank you for the story. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name.